0: I'm Alex Wong, and the Wong Takes start now. Can y'all believe it's already the sixth month of 2018, June 5th to be exact, and got a good show today. Some interesting stuff came out of the world of sports this week, and we will jump on it as best we can. Uh, Hopefully y'all are enjoying the summer so far. Uh, I think I will be able to record next week, but it won't be on Tuesday. It's going to be probably, uh, I think, the Sunday beforehand, so um, we'll, we'll have to stall a little bit, some talk about the finals and stuff like that. But we will get some good content out, uh, or I will get some good content out as soon or as well timed as I can. So, let's begin today's episode with what else? The NBA Finals. Interesting series so far, um, although nothing really that we didn't see coming. I mean, the last, uh, as the last episode mentioned, this is the fourth time the Cavs and Warriors have met in the finals consecutively. And this is the fourth time that the Warriors have gone up 2-0 on their home floor. Varying results, of course. uh, The first series, they were able to get the victory. Second series was the 3-1 comeback and the Cavs winning the NBA finals. And last year, the Warriors had the Gentleman's Sweep winning uh, winning the series 4-1. And now it's 2-0. Two nothing. An interesting series so far. Uh, game Game one was pretty chaotic. Uh, the Cavs definitely missed an opportunity because the Warriors have home court, uh, of course, winning as many games as they did regular, during the regular season, and the Cavs having like thirty some odd losses. So the the Cavs needed to need to steal a game at some point at Oracle if they want to win this series, and that. Can come in a game five or a game seven when it, it appears to me, at least, that teams are more likely to to win a game on the road just because of the urgency factor that that's built in from being in a game five or a game seven. But if you're the Cavs, the opportunity to steal a game early in the series is not something you want to pass up. And boy, did they have one in game one. Uh, they had the Warriors on the ropes. Uh, it, the Warriors have sometimes struggled in clutch situations. Uh, they haven't really been able to, or they they've been able to get clutch shots, uh, but not consistently. And they they don't really have a go-to guy at the end of games. I mean, Steph Curry, uh, depending on his rhythm, Kevin Durant has struggled in isolation play this uh this the last couple of series. So they don't really have a go-to guy, and they needed some help in game one, and they got it partially from the refs. Uh, I I don't I. I'm, that block charge call at the end of game one, I mean, I, I'm of the, I, I believe that, like the rule, the it should be determined when the player starts an upward shooting motion, I think you shouldn't be able to slide laterally uh, if you want to get called, or if you want to draw a charge, I mean, th- that's literally getting in the guy's way, That that should be a foul on the defense. Uh, an offensive foul. The reason they call that is because you don't want guys charging into a defensive players, and I think that only happens if the defensive player is set and and isn't moving side side to side because that's the way you step in. If you if you take a step forward, I mean the guy's still charging at you, but if you go in the sideways, you're going in his way, uh, and that should be a foul on the defensive player. So I'm I think I'm biased, of course, but I think the the block charge call was called correctly, though. Instant Replay, I still am against Instant Replay being used for judgment calls, um, just because of the Pandora's box that opens, I mean, there's going to be some missed calls. But, you don't want every foul call being looked at at the end of games, and people saying, is that a foul or not? And I know this rule was just a one case, one very specific case scenario, but uh it could it could be used everywhere else and and I don't think that's something that you want to touch if you're the NBA uh or you're or you're a fan uh, of the game. Uh and then beyond that in regulation the Warriors obviously got some help from the Cavs at the end of the game. Cavs uh had a chance to take the lead. George Hill had two free throws with the Cavs down one, made the first, missed the second. And then everyone saw J.R. Smith uh, just m- lost his mind and-, and thought the Cavs were winning and dribbled out the ball, wasted the time, went to overtime. If you haven't already listened to it, I actually just heard this this morning, but the Spanish call of J.R. Smith's mistake is pretty funny, and, and they have uh, Dan Levitard on his show was translating it and, and laughing at it, and it- it's pretty funny. I mean, it's like what an atrocity, et cetera. So yeah, go check that out. The Spanish call of J.R. Smith, a boneheaded play. Uh, but if man, the lack of awareness you have to have, the lack of being in the moment. That's like a that's like an elementary school type play. That's like like a middle school type play. That's not that's embarrassing at any stage. And nonetheless, the NBA Finals. Um, and Jr. Smith has struggled in these finals. Uh, the first game obviously doing what he did. And the second game, he scored five points on, I believe, two for nine shooting. Uh, the the formula for winning for the Cavs is having not only LeBron have a 40-point triple-double, but you also need role guys to step up. And the struggles of the Cavs backcourt have been, I think, uh, understated. Uh, in the Celtics series, they really struggled and they're not really getting major contributions from anyone. I mean, Jordan Clarkson, I don't think, has a single assist since Game 4 against the Raptors two series ago. And for your point guard to not have any assists and to have a shot that's not really going in, you you got, you got can't play him like that. Uh, and then a guy like George Hill, who's playing okay, but missing the key free throw, obviously. If LeBron's not getting backcourt support, the Caps have no chance in the series, just straight up. Uh so uh, I'm the the Cavs are gonna need contributions from J.R. Smith, uh Kyle Korver. They need to take better quality shots. Kyle Corver just keep doing what he's doing, but guys like J.R. Smith need to take better quality shots, more movement uh away from the ball, find more open looks, and hopefully kinda like the Rockets, they can just shoot themselves into a game. That's what they're gonna need to do to win. But beyond that, uh I think the story we saw from Game One as well as Game Two is just LeBron being brilliant. Game One, LeBron had a career game for for especially for a Finals game, fifty one eight and eight. I mean, wow! Uh, to to be that good and not win is a testament to to this Cavs team how they're constructed and also kind of a testament to the. This free upcoming free agent market, I mean, does LeBron want to stay here? I mean, this is a pretty telling stat, courtesy of Basketball Reference. Uh, LeBron scored 51 points, almost had a triple-double, and yet his plus-minus was minus 13. Uh, and, and the best plus-minus was Kyle Corvert at plus 12. I mean, everyone in the Cavs' starting lineup had a, had a minus plus-minus. So, LeBron is not getting any help whatsoever while he's on the floor. And, while, and he had eight assists as well, so it's not like he's just holding on to the ball. Um, and and that's a big problem for, hit, uh, for the team if he's putting up those kind of numbers and they're not doing anything with it. Uh, moving, and then game two happened. Uh, game two is what we've come to expect from the Golden State Warriors. While they exploded in a different quarter, the fourth quarter that we normally see, which is the third, uh, this was a blowout. Uh, at the end of the game. No real drama. And especially coming uh, at Oracle Arena, that's kind of just what we expect from the Golden State Warriors. We saw a full game from them. Actually, in in Game 1, too, uh, they got major contributions from their Big 3, and that's their formula for winning. Uh, Game 1, Curry had 29, Durant had 26, Thompson had... 24, and and in Game 2, similar, very similar stories. Curry had 33, Durant had 26, Thompson had 20. When your start, when your big three are scoring like 80 points a game, and that's all you really need to rely on, and you just need a few role players, uh, in this case, they got contributions from, in Game 2, JaVale McGee with 12 on 6 of 6 shooting, and Livingston with 10 on 5 of 5 shooting. I mean, you can get contributions like that. I mean this Warriors team is unstoppable you you didn't We didn't see much of JaVale McGee in the Rockets series because uh, he didn't really match up well with the Rockets, but this series he can bully uh guys or he can run the floor and we he got two dunks at the very beginning of the game. He can run the floor better than Justin Thompson can uh and better than any of the Cavs guy Big men can. And that's where JaVale's strength really is. Like, Clint Capella, he didn't really match it well with Capella, but now he has room to flourish, and that's why he started in Game 2 and scored 12 points uh, in 17 minutes of play. So this is a good sign for Golden State that they're getting contributions from guys beyond Durant, Thompson, Curry, but they also are getting contributions from Durant, Thompson, Curry. Um, these aren't just little ones as well. I mean... Steph Curry broke a long-standing NBA record, or I don't know if it was long-standing, but an NBA record uh, hitting nine threes in Game 2. And that just exemplifies how great this team is. I mean, the fact that Curry's made the playoffs and, and been in the finals the last three years and never hit nine threes in a game, and now he's just doing that, and we finally get to see the full extent of what he can do. Pretty remarkable, plus Kevin Durant, of course. I think the biggest play from this game, and the one that a lot of people were interviewing the players about, was Steph Curry's three with like half a second left on the shot clock, which is just a mindless heave from 30 feet. And that's the demoralizing aspect of this Warriors team. I think I've talked about it before, weaponized joy, a phrase that I've seen thrown around a lot on NBA Twitter, on like sites like The Ringer and other other places. Uh when when they can when when he does that, I mean there's nothing you can you feel helpless. Justin Thompson didn't want to say he felt helpless, but you do feel helpless. I mean imagine you're in that position, you play twenty three seconds of good defense and this guy just turns around and, and like throws a prayer and it goes in, doesn't even hit the rim. It's a swish. Uh what else what else are you gonna do? And that's what the Warriors can bring. Uh there's what else is to say. Oh yeah, uh in the third quarter though, in game 2, if the one, there's one thing the Cavs want to take away from this. It's going to be that third quarter. Cuz the Warriors are this postseason have had historically great third quarters. And yet, it, in game 2, the Cavs outscored them 34-31. So I think that that could be a little formula for them. It's going to, but the what what happened really was they were just able to uh, get more shots off and the Warriors weren't really able to turn off the faucet. So what they're going to have to do is, like I said, ball movement, uh, finding players finding their shots, and just shooting well. Uh, Contributions from role players, or the quote-unquote others, as well as LeBron. Moving as the series shifts back to Cleveland, as it does now for games 3 and 4. Finals in all NBA series are 2 2 one one, one so we get Two more games in Cleveland, and then we alternate games from there, if necessary, starting with Golden State. Uh, moving back to Cleveland, the Cavs have seen the situation before. Uh, last series, actually, they were down 2 nothing, Boston Celtics, one series in seventh. So, although, obviously, this Warriors team is not the same team as the Boston squad they just beat, which was missing its two best players... Uh, they're not going to be scared by the limelight. They're going to be ready to take on the challenge. And there's the old adage that role players always play better at home. And we clearly saw that with the Cavs. I mean, they won all three games at home against a tough Boston team and have won eight home games in a row. And the reason for that is not only do you get great performances from LeBron, but from uh, your role players. And that's what they're going to need. I I have it's t- I can totally see this Cavs team winning, uh, game three and or game four, uh, probably not both, but uh, one of them if they the Warriors are not ready for it because no matter how much you say we will take them seriously every single game and this is the finals of course we're gonna take them seriously. They say two nothing is the most dangerous lead in soccer and hockey. Same thing with series. I mean you nothing. You think you've got it under control and everything, and, and you're, you're complacent a little bit. Uh, you don't come out with the same fire that, especially the Warriors know that they held serve, and they don't have to win a game on the road. I can totally see them slacking off a bit at the start of Game 3 and getting themselves in a 10-15 point hole like within the first five minutes. Uh, and it'll be hard for them to dig out of that, even though we know that they can. So if the Cavs can lay a, a big gut punch to the Warriors in, in, say, Game 3, I can totally see them coming out with one victory or even two victories uh, going back to Golden State. That being said, that doesn't do anything for the Cavs in getting home court advantage, but they must win these next two games if they want to have a chance to win this series because coming back from 3-1 is very hard to do. And even though they did it once, they were not able to Uh, do it last year and and there's a reason that they were the first team to ever do that in the NBA finals because it's difficult to do so so going back to Cleveland uh, the Cavs will uh, they're they're gonna have a tough time slowing down Golden State especially if Durant or or Curry is on Uh, they don't the Warriors don't feed off or they feed off road energy in a different way from home energy like we know they can so well I mean they're they're an incredibly good road team uh, but but we will see what happens. I'm very excited to watch the next couple of games. Uh, I'm not sure, 100% sure, if I'll be able to watch a game five if there is one. But I will do my best. And I think we will have an episode for you after game four. I'm not sure. Uh, I'll figure it out. But uh, that's our look at the NBA Finals on May 29th. There was a bombshell in the sports world. Now keep in mind, this was last Tuesday, I believe. This was in the lull after Game 7 and in the lead-up to the NBA Finals. And this report comes out by the Ringers' Ben Dietrich. Shout out to him. He's done great work over the last years. And it's about... Brian Colangelo, the Philadelphia 76ers general manager, and Twitter, burner Twitter accounts. Not another one of these. Kevin Durant got busted earlier this year for using burner Twitter accounts to defend himself. But this case is much, much, much more serious. Brian Colangelo is rumored to have been running five Twitter accounts uh, under various names and and anonymousnesses but they have extremely similar follows likes etc and the more damning thing is the various tweets and replies they send out which uh, expose Philadelphia 76ers team information information about players also badmouths the players Uh, I'll just see if I can see if I can give you guys a, a hint if you, if you haven't seen the story or if you just haven't seen a little bit, just some of the tweets sent out, uh, him defending his use of callers uh, and then saying how Joel B failed the physical, trashing Sam Hinkie, the former uh, general manager of the 76ers who's been made kind of a martyr uh, within the Sixers organization uh trashing the old or the new, the now Raptors GM because Colangelo was formerly the Raptors GM until 2013. Uh and these various accounts are just making all these remarks and saying all these bad things about players and exposing what the team uh should do and has done talking to reporters etc etc etc. And this is uh interesting on so many levels. First of all, why you got to have a burner Twitter account, man? Uh I saw somewhere it was like, if if you really have that to say, just like keep a diary or something. Uh I, I don't know why you would want to even if you want to say these things, why you would risk saying them in the public sphere and especially why you're gonna have five accounts uh that are that, that all do the same thing. I think the best one of the best parts of this report by Dietrich is when he told the Sixers organization about two of the Twitter accounts and then they, the Colangelo said, yeah, one of them was mine, and then the other three shut down or went private right away. That's pretty much conclusive evidence that these accounts are all linked to the same person. So, And we already know it's, it's either Colangelo or his wife who's been increasingly looked at, uh, but we'll go back to her in a little bit. Um, but this is just a bad look, not only for Colangelo, whose job is clearly at risk now. I don't think you want that kind of toxicity in your... Uh, front office Uh, but also embarrassing for the organization I mean there was nothing but good press coming out of this organization just a few weeks ago with them almost getting to the Eastern Conference finals uh, and and them having so much young talent stockpiled and ready to compete next year and this year and in a few years especially trying to recruit LeBron James etc but now this type of story comes out And it's just embarrassing because it starts at the top when, when, when they don't, when there's no accountability from your GM, why is, why does the rest of the league think the rest of your organization should have any accountability? Uh, that, that's not the message you want to send off to other teams, to potential free agents, to your fans. Uh, and that, that's just bad for everyone involved. Now, their 76ers, a few days ago, hired a firm to, and this is according to ESPN, uh, quote, probe the connection between Brian Colangelo and Sequel Twitter accounts. So there's a, there's a big legal deal going on just to try to figure out what's happening. And I think that goes that to expound upon how big of a deal this is. You don't normally just hire firms pricey <laughs> for, for nothing. Uh, And with all this talk about Colangelo's wife, uh, I don't know if if this were if these tweets were by his wife. I mean, the 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 information that was exposed about people failing physicals and why trades don't go through. He shouldn't be telling that to people who are not involved with the organization, especially if he even has the slightest thought that they are going to share it with people that shouldn't know, like the public. Uh, so I think even if Colangelo's wife is behind these accounts, I don't know. I don't think he should keep his job uh, just because clearly he was exposing information that he shouldn't be. Uh, and, and that's not what you want from your general manager. Uh, what else there? I mean, like, look, this whole issue, it, it should, it should be just a flash in the pan, but I think we're going to see more people or more things like this. I mean, social media does something to people. <laughs> And and believe, like, these are not as thick-skinned people as you'd think. They want to defend all the bad things that are said about them. They want to make themselves look good and put down their competitors. Saw that with Kevin Durant, with his detractors, and now Colangelo with his detractors. I mean, this is not the end of the Twitter. The Twitter will exist from our president on down. And we're going to continue to see these stories. They're, while they are entertaining... Uh, it's not good for the organization just because of the nature of these tweets, and, and is not good for for basketball, unfortunately, even though it's great for NBA Twitter. Alright, last major topic of the day. I've been sitting on this one for a few weeks now. Really interesting. Uh, the Tampa Bay Rays, the last few weeks, have been trying out something that they've called the Opener. And it's really interesting. What happens is you take the fourth and fifth starters in your lineup, guys who you typically don't expect to give you seven solid innings. And what you do is instead of starting them right off the gate, you bring in a relief pitcher. Uh, In this case, it's been Sergio Romo, who us in the Bay Area are very familiar with, former San Francisco Giant, long time, beloved. And then you have him go an inning, an inning and a third, before you bring in the starting pitcher. And what this allows you to do is it allows you to play the platoon advantage. If you've got guys, say, uh, like the Angels did when the Rays first trotted this out, I think they had four right-handers to start out the game. Or, yeah, and then you get to play the platoon advantage. You get your righty and your righty. And that allows you your starter to be able to come in with the middle to the bottom of the order to start out with and not have to face the top of the order the second time until what would have been their third time through the lineup. And that, based on everything we've heard so far, gives you an advantage, or that should give you an advantage. I am a big fan of this. I mean, I'm I'm I enjoy the traditions of baseball, but I'm not a baseball purist. I mean I'm open to trying new things. And I think if the analytic I mean, the results have been mixed so far. Uh the Rays are four and five in games where they have an opener, the team has a higher ERA. But I mean, the thing is, you are, you do have your fourth and fifth starters in those games, so it's not like you don't you expect a lower ERA necessarily in those games. But it's a, it's it's an interesting idea because everything we've heard about the third time through the order is when uh, games or when teams start to give up more runs, and if you can hold off going through the quote unquote third time in the order another inning, why not do it? If your starter's meant to go longer, then why not give him that opportunity? Uh, and if you can start out with a relief pitcher who is used to not having to come in already in rhythm, who's used to being able to just come in a game and start, um, and you can play the platoon advantages, why not do it? I, I I'm not I'm not opposed to this at all. Uh, I think for some teams, if they have the right personnel, I mean, you need don't don't get me wrong, you need a certain type of personnel to do this. You need a a good middle reliever or or a or a closer type. Where, you can, where you're used to coming in and getting guys out right away and that can handle the top of the lineup. Uh, and you also, need, uh, you also need a starter that's willing to not go the first inning. And that's definitely doable for many, many teams. Now, you also need the opposing lineup to match up the same way. I don't think we're going to see the opener used beyond the platine advantage for a long time just because of inertia and just that this idea hasn't really taken off yet. It's just kind of an experiment but but i'm very interested uh to see if also hitting teams have to adjust like what if the opener starts to become more widespread and then all of a sudden we see teams start to mix with their lineup a little bit so that like say they have the pitcher hitting first so then your your essentially your opener is neutralized so that's just a little thing on on the baseball um still keeping track of baseball statistics on the spreadsheet that I've got it's actually uh, rolling out pretty nicely Uh, we got some we got some good stuff here Uh, we're keeping track of wins and losses for every team in major in the major leagues every single day got some good graphs on here Uh, the win percentage graphs allows you to kind of see where the division races are heading Uh, you can also see I think is kind of a more fun graph is the win graph. It just, show, it just graphs the total wins over time because you can kind of see teams racing upward, trying to beat each other to the punch. You can see where races are tightening or, or opening up, uh, and, and it's fun to see. And then I also just recently, a few weeks ago, added the last 10 games graph so you can see teams, how they're doing the last 10 games over time. Uh, So I would highly recommend that you guys check that out. Uh, Hit me up with something if you want any more stats added on or whatever. Uh, So that is baseball talk. And now let's move on to the quick take as soon as I can get it out. Juicy, juicy quick take today. Uh, LeBron said, LeBron James, said that the Warriors and the Cavs, neither of them should they win the uh, NBA championship. Would want a invite invite to the White House. Now this has come back into the news after Donald Trump cancel President Donald Trump canceled. Excuse that. Uh, the Philadelphia Eagles visit to the White House after many of them said they wouldn't go. Uh, this issue is going to come keep coming up. The both LeBron and his team and the Warriors are very socially politically conscious and. Both of them have been outspoken about their aversion to our current president on Twitter, in interviews, and elsewhere. So, this doesn't surprise me at all. I'm curious to see if this becomes a trend league to league, as in, people or teams from the NFL and NBA won't go to the White House, but teams from baseball and hockey will. We've talked about those demographics before. I don't think, or I mean, I think this will become sort of a league-to-league trend just because of what the leagues consist of and, and the and the people that consist those leagues and how outspoken they have been. I mean, the NFL has kind of been a little iffy on this issue with the whole national anthem. We talked about that last week plenty. And the NBA is interest, an interesting case because they don't they don't deal with a kneeling problem. I mean they make players stand and there hasn't really been an issue for that. So it, it's really it's a league by league basis. It's a le- case by case basis within each league. And I, I agree with LeBron though. Uh, these teams will not go to the White House, and that is a fact. Thanks so much for listening to the Wong Takes. It's summer. Woo! Do everything. bit.ly slash the long takes. The long takes at com slash the long take. Like, subscribe. Rate the podcast on iTunes, Google Play. Leave voicemails, leave questions. Uh, get your, you can get your name shouted out on the podcast. You can get your name in the description. Isn't that pretty cool? All right. Thanks so much for listening, and I will see you next week.